Well, my name is uh, Atha Yawar, but because we have so many Arabists here, I'll use the pronunciation Atar. And I've been working as an anthropologist at UCL for the last three years, doing a PhD, and had the pleasure of spending time with dervishes in London and Cyprus. And I thought this might be a pleasant opportunity to explore how present-day dervishes, following the Sufi Sheikh Navim of the Naqshbandi Haqqani Tariqa, explore the notion of healing. <laughs> and I should add many riders. One is that to speak for all the dervishes is impossible, because everybody has their own different language and approach. The second rider is that to explore something of profundity requires a profound vessel. Uh, never mind. And the third thing is that there is so much variety of exploration of love, since for them love is the whole universe, that to pick on anything would be by its nature selective. I suppose I'm going to begin at the very basics and talk about what is sometimes called the Declaration of Faith. Uh, being an academic by training, I would quibble with that endlessly, both about the terms declaration and faith. But let's stick with the phrase, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, and see how this deals with love, sickness and medicine among these dervishes. <coughs> now, La ilaha illallah, there is no God except God, except the God. Now, if we take, as one dervish was telling me, who recognizes Sheikh Nadim, though he's not officially in the Tariqa, if we take a God as being something that has intelligence, contingency, all the different qualities of deity, which are characteristically numbered at 99, and we say that there is nothing except the God that has these qualities, everything else is contingent, and everything else is an expression of divinity. <laughs> In other words, we human beings are in, as it were, a divine womb, a rahm, from which comes the phrase Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of God, the infinitely good, the intimately merciful. And therefore, there is nothing that is not an expression of the divine. And if we were to know anything truly, we would see the face of God all the time, infinitely in all its many different capacities and depths, to ever-increasing intimacy. And how do the dervishes do this? Well, the dervishes argue that modern scientific method is largely based on imagination and is therefore by implication to some extent a negation of la ilaha illallah. A review of what we do. We formulate a hypothesis. We isolate, manipulate, measure, measure again, formulate a subsidiary hypothesis. In other words, we are projecting ourselves as dominant over and separate from the material. Moreover, any hypothesis, it depends on what we find interesting at any given time, which usually, unfortunately, in science depends partly on who will pay for it, and is therefore a matter largely of imagination. In other words, we have an infinite universe and we are projecting ourselves onto it, which is, as it was, the reverse of la ilaha illallah. And the dervish method, to my limited understanding, is, as it were, the opposite of scientific method, in that rather than projecting yourself across the universe, you make yourself transparent to it by a process of ongoing love, of which the dervish exercises are known as dhikr. Dhikr is often translated as remembrance, but after a while the remembrance of the beloved means to be consumed by the fire of the beloved means to become nothing, means to become absolutely transparent to the essence in everything. Now, 
how do we do this and what is that essence? The answer would come in the second part of the phrase, which is Muhammad al-Rasulullah. Now, biographers and hagiographers will become familiar with the historical Muhammad. But who is Muhammad to the dervishes? The dervishes call him Habibullah, the beloved of God. In other words, someone who is not only the recipient of infinite love, but through his transparency, the radiator of it. In other words, the key and the door to love. And they also argue that if we were to look at the essence of everything, we would see the prophet there. There is Quranic evidence for this, a line that the prophet is nearer to you than your own selves. And there's also eschatological evidence, which can be derived partly from the famous tradition on which the dervishes rely, when God says, I was a hidden treasure and I wished to be known, so I created the universe. Now, because no aspect of the universe is devoid of this capacity to know, every aspect of the universe must therefore be an expression of and in unity with Muhammad. And the dervish ways of knowing Muhammad are again through this dhikr, through this love, which gives the words of biography and hagiography a different meaning from how the ink on the page must otherwise be regarded. And when we say Muhammad al-Rasulullah, now we learnt earlier from La ilaha illallah and Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim that there is not anything that is not a gift from God, in other words, not a divine message. Therefore, everything is in some ways a message from or through Muhammad. And the dervishes say that you must treat everybody as though he were Muhammad, echoing Christ's message when he took a little child. He was asking which of his disciples was the greatest. And he said something like, I paraphrase, when you have received this one fully, you have received me. Love sickness is therefore a necessity and an ultimate imbalance. Love sickness because if people have been created with this capacity to know the infinite, we're all lovesick in one way or another. The very fact of our yearning is an aspect of this infinite love sickness. It's also a condition to some extent of imbalance, in that if we were to see truly, the beloved would always be with us, and therefore there would be no sickness, but just an infinite yearning. So suffering is inherent in creation, in as much as suffering is a product of incompleteness, suffering is a product of imperfection, and while one is not complete and perfect, i.e. while one is not God, that suffering will be inevitable, and its core is love-sickness. But that love-sickness takes many different depths until, as symbolized by the Prophet on his ascension, one comes in intimate communion with the Divine, and there is an infinite journey through infinite depths of love. So the sickness still exists in as much as nothing is perfect, but it becomes an aspect of infinite felicity and the capacity of mankind. Would that in the, in the, um, what you are describing, would that in the, well, certainly in the medieval literature, would that have been described as 
state of the dervish in particular, um, would that be classified amongst Jewish in the, in the literature that we have? No, I haven't seen that. I mean, no. this is a totally new dimension, actually, for the for the texts I have studied. Mm. Mm. I have two remarks on uh, Hindley's uh, talk and a general remark on the responses or uh, response, uh, meta response. Um, uh, I think, well, you know, of course, I have many words for love in Arabic, or rather, uh, many of these treatises you mentioned, some of them have a chapter on the various. Uh, nouns, very names of the various things, and um, for you sometimes translated Daesh as love, which I think is slightly insight. And you use it, you, for instance, in the title uh, that you mentioned by Bakhtishur, he said, um, to view love as an illness. Is, am I correct in thinking that Daesh is the term used there? Uh, yes, because I think Daesh should never be translated as love. Sometimes you use passionate love, which I think is better. Yeah. Um, I'm a philosopher and classicist, uh, so this is a, from a philosophical perspective, and my expertise is ancient Greek, so I don't pretend mm -hmm. to know anything about the, the words, I take the point that there might be up to, up to 50 words, that's, that's a oh, lot yeah. of subtlety yeah. and love, I, 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 I take my hat off to, to that. Um, I may have misheard your talk, but as I heard it, um, there was a lot of differences in your text between whether 
all love was being regarded as some kind of illness, or only some kinds of love which were uh, demarcated as excessive. So my first question um, is whether love in general, I don't know which word we're talking about here, of course, is being regarded as a sickness. And secondly, if that's not the case, if it's only certain forms of, of love which are regarded as excessive, um, then what is the what are the criteria which mark off some kinds of love as excessive? And in the mid, in the midst of all that, um, I'm also confused because uh, sometimes the texts seem to talk about passionate love as excessive love, and seem to think that those two went together. And at other times, it seemed there could be different kinds of passionate love, some of which were acceptable and others of which were excessive. So I'm somebody from the outside with an ancient Greek background. I'm very confused here. Um, how many kinds of love are, are regarded as an illness here? Um, it, for, me, for me, it's very important because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the history of some of these concepts in Eros and so on, which um, by no means, which it is passionate love, but is by no means always a, a sickness and various forms of sublimation are possible and desirable. So. Mm -hmm. um, no, is, is it that the texts are very, very different in their approaches? Yeah, they're different, and um, um, some of the texts even in themselves have a, a fluid uh, borderline between uh, pathological and non-pathological love. Um, uh, it varies. I mean, if, if, the, if the book is long enough, uh, you have different opinions on, on this. I mean, basically, you are quite right to be confused because it's uh, it's. Uh, it's a long and very detailed uh, scale with no, um, um, with no marks. Here begins uh, uh, passionate love. Well, well, sorry, sorry, can I just start? Um, mm -hmm. um, when you say here begins passionate love, by that do you mean here begins excessive or pathological yeah, yeah, love? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, see, so that's, that's yeah. really confused yeah. mm -hmm. me. Um, mm -hmm. So, so are all forms no, no, of passionate I, love excessive? Thank you for correcting me. What I mean is pathological love. I, I, with, with this step, you, uh, okay. uh, you transcend uh, uh, the illicit um, uh, field of, of, of love. And, but this is uh, defined differently. And uh, I mean, the, I, I offered you some of the symptoms, some of the descriptions, some of the elements of description of... Um, of, of uh, pathological love, and um, uh, it's, it's a wide variety, really, and uh, uh, it would be hard for a, for a, for a, for a hardcore uh, historian of medicine to uh, you know to take a checklist um, uh, and to check off all these um, uh, symptoms and then come to a conclusion. Uh, whether this is really pathological love or not. Okay, so it, it would be possible to fall passionately in love in some of the texts you were, being, you were looking and at, in a way mm, that would count as errors, so. mm. and, and, and then that would not be seen as necessarily unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my basic yeah, yeah. question. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now that the question is whether there are objective or subjective yeah. criteria. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, just to follow up on that, of course, um, when these uh, Greek texts were translated, these Arabic texts were translated into Latin, the Ibn al Jazar Zadan, which has a whole bit mm -hmm. of Rufus of Ephesus on yeah. Ishq, 
the term became amorheroicus, actually taking up the Greek eros uh -huh, to, yes. to translate ishk. Eroicus um, or heroicus. Yeah. And of Nothing course that also has hero. the, it, well that's right, it has the implication also of hero and is a kind of love um, that, that the knight, the true, mm -hmm. you know, the courtier has towards the unattainable woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a patient last week, who, um, a cleaning lady who had delusions of being the Messiah, and she was prescribed an antipsychotic uh, drug, and uh, the delusions disappeared. And uh, we asked her, "Well, you know, how do you feel now?" And she said, "Well, I, I wish they were still here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something I wanted to share with you. Yeah, people do need their delusions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, Just two points in response to Professor Sadi Smith's remark about uh, madness. Uh, there are a lot of uh, famous lovers in Arab history, and one of them is Isaac in New York. He loved a woman called Layla, and he was metaphorically called the madman of Layla. So, at least in the history, they associate uh, deep love or passionate love with, with madness. <coughs> some of the treatments that was offered to these people were getting them into a cathartic condition where they would be able to make to utter the name of the of the object of okay. God. Um, and they tried and, and unite them with this with this brother. But if not this could be uh, then they could be engaged in a sort of a deviation of behavior therapy by encouraging them to to have frequent uh, sexual intercourse. That's another <laughs> topic which I forgot to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not necessarily with your own wife, uh, the author said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I, mean, uh, yeah. I personally would be very interested in, in, in getting uh, feedback of how, uh, w whether there exists the concept of love sickness in, uh, uh, in, in, in modern uh, psychiatry. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think it's remarkable that there isn't because uh, I was in the well, uh, there is, but that's a delusional jealousy. Yes, but no, it's a more, a more delusion. And and mm. well, delusional jealousy is the one that causes the problems because but this is this isn't so much love sickness. It's just a delusion mm. that um, your wife or girlfriend, it's usually a man, is being unfaithful. <coughs> um, and it's one of the very few psychiatric conditions that is statistically. Associated with an increased risk of homicide as opposed to suicide. <coughs> That's right. All the, all the problems. And then, as, as you said, the Clarenberg is, is another one. So there's sort of well-defined things, but it's remarkable that so many areas of, uh, of life are being medicalized. And I put out that picture of that man on 
and child. And it's partly about Ritalin now being used for uh, <coughs> the lively children. Sort of, uh, what, I think now they're looking at what proportion of children in the States are not on Ritalin as opposed to what proportion <laughs> are. And there's this sense of it all being expanded. But here seems an obvious place to expand, expand the brief of the pharmaceutical countries in this country with it. Which we haven't taken. There's the DSM-5. That's centrality of the love of prophet supersedes all loves and a lot of people when they write in Urdu and Arabic use the word Ashaka Rasul that means beloved of the prophet and that is sometimes very important for us to analyze as to why do Muslims go out of the way to defend the honor of prophet because in Islam it is emphasized that his love is transcendence every other love of your child the incident is during a uh, uh, war, uh, war, prophet uh, was supposedly rumored to have been injured. So a woman was, she left uh, her home and wanted to know has any harm come to prophet. And the people met her on the way and said, woman, do you know your son is dead? So I don't care, tell me how he prophet. Then mm -hmm. she went again, your husband is dead. So she really wanted to know at the expense of everything, the 
the supreme value of profit, love of profit. Now this is inculcated in the very beginning of our Islamic belief system. That's why I think it has got resonance today. If somebody impunges profits honor today by a cartoon or something, why do Muslims react the way they do? Because impunging the honor of profit is the most serious violation <coughs> of his basic tenets. That is, his love is supreme and transcends every other normal concept. So there's something I'm trying to analyze in myself. Why do I react? Being a modern, of course, Muslim at birth, coming from India, Hyderabad, brought up in tradition, 40 years being in psychiatry. What does his love do? To invoke in people passions beyond belief. So there's something which I think again comes to, is it an excessive, exaggerated, overvalued love, or it is something deeply embedded in Muslim psyche? Sorry. I was uh, brought up in a rather eccentric uh, Muslim family, it might be said. And I've often wondered about this issue myself recently. And I suppose that there are several things going on. Because one aspect, I suppose, is conditioning, which is in a way the reverse of love, because it involves stimulus response. And I'm convinced that the excess is done in the name of the prophet, in quotes, the riots and so forth, are really the product of basic conditioning and identity politics and have absolutely nothing to do with love, partly because one thing that is very much stressed in the traditions in which love of the prophet is emphasised is that you love somebody by becoming transparent to them <coughs> and behaving in an unethical, inconsiderate, self-possessed fashion is the reverse, of, <coughs> the reverse of love. So I'm convinced that reactions to books and cartoons and such are by and large the conditioned self at its very worst. I, I, th I think... Sorry, I would say it's not entirely imagination because in Islamic system, just as you said, at your, at our Rasul, obeying the Prophet, obeying Allah is almost equal and identical. Yes. So you cannot reach God unless you don't reach Muhammad. Yeah, yes. But, but, but what I would say is that also you could add that as a dervish who I spend a lot of time with during my research used to tell me, he used to tell me that the word Muslim was misused in modern discourse to describe an anthropological group. And he used to say, if you go back to the Quran, it's not used by that. It means someone who submits. So it's used to describe people like Joseph, <coughs> and it means anybody who submits with love to what is around them. And he also used to say that there are many people who are considered Muslims socially who will not be Muslims on their deathbed when it's between them, the angels, and God, and ultimately between them and God. And there are many people who are not considered Muslims in any way, shape, or form who, when it's between them and God and even the angel has left, will be counted as Muslims. And if we are to take seriously the notion of the Prophet as being inherent in creation then it's not merely recognising the body of the Prophet, it's recognising the spirit of the Prophet in everything, whether or not you call it the Prophet or not. So any true act of devotion, any true act of love between any two people, or even between two plants, would be an aspect of recognition of the Prophet. I think, because I raised the point, I, I just want to say that this, is, this, this baffles me, that the centrality of the love of Prophet of Islam is built into the DNA of a Muslim. Of course, through education, through secularization process, 
Muslim may opt to take more balanced view, but not everyone is educated like you and I hope education was correct. But in the villages of Lahore, when this man who did harm a person who published a book against Prophet, his name was Ilmuddin, in 1928, British gave him a sentence, he was released, uh, and he said, why did you do this act of hurting someone? He said, because he hurt my Prophet, and his love to me is all-encompassing. And in the court, he was asked to plead guilty. He said, if you say you're a madman, we'll let you go. He said, no, this is the only time I was saying. So this, this really is an area of immense importance for us to realize that why do people, not all, behave the way they do in defense of the love of Prophet? Is that, what kind of love is that? Again, coming to more worldly love, of course, now we know love centers, we know anger centers in the brain, neurosciences, the scientists, we can even eliminate love from uh, some techniques. Uh, science, neuroscience is so advanced with PET scanners and all that. You can look at the center of love as a center of God. So there's another subject which I hope we have time to when we have the seminar. Yes, that's a very interesting perspective and very important. I think we're getting off of Ishq just a little bit. Uh, and there were several hands up. I think, um, Pauline, you have your... Yeah, I, I just have a question, a remark. Um, going back to Ishq, uh, in, in uh, Ishaq ibn Ramadan's uh, treatise on melancholy, mm -hmm. it says that um, the love of God in itself is a cause uh, of uh, illness, because then uh, people uh, that love God too much tend to fear Him too much also, and this fear leads them to obsessive states, and that fear is a premonition, mm -hmm. and, um, and so it brings them to a state uh, close to the one of the uh, lover, mm -hmm. passionate lover, mm -hmm. say. And um, so, I, so this is clearly uh, something uh, negative for their health. So I wanted to know if in uh, mystical treatises like the one in Ibn al-Jawzi, uh, the one of mystical. Ibn al-Jawzi that... Uh, no, it's not mystical. It's So, okay, mm -hmm. because he speaks of mystical... So in mystical treatises, uh, do they see passionate love as something how, how, do, they, for God, you mean. how do they? How yeah. do they react to this uh, medical uh, discourse? Mm -hmm. So this is this is a passage I I, I wouldn't remember from Ibn Al-Azhar. It's very interesting. It's, it's Hakim Al-Azhar actually. Ah, it's Hakim Al-Azhar yeah. on on Malakhulia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, what what other words he's using? Uh, I don't know. I have a okay. my yeah. translation in French. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Arabic, but yeah. but. Um, he says, let's take the case of assets and um, mystical, uh, mystical mm -hmm. uh, who fall into a state of obsessive melancholy caused by the fear of God mm -hmm. and of its uh, punishments, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and inversely caused from the desire for God. In both cases, the soul is so exclusively preoccupied <coughs> that it doesn't uh, 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 it doesn't have any other kind of uh, attachment and they fall into a state of uh, anxiety and uh, maybe uh, this is like demons and yeah. demons yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, close to the one of the uh, passionate love I mean the, the um, 
the argumentation, the line of argumentation is uh, one can follow that uh, because it's it's quite thorough. Uh, but and God as a love of that which means which which leads to a pathological state is is, is unique for me. I mean, uh, uh, okay. if I find something uh, similar to that, I write you a postcard. I'm following on Emily's question about. You know, whether lovesickness should be considered an illness. Okay, I'd like to share the symptoms um, for lovesickness according to Malay Southeast Asian culture. Uh, you have to fulfill three conditions. The first of which is that when you eat, you don't feel full. The second, when you um, uh, bath, you don't feel fat. And the third is that when you sleep, you don't feel asleep. So here, if you fulfill all these three conditions, you are in a state of what um, is really now called love mm -hmm. sickness. Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering... That's, that's a popular saying, or what is it? I, I, now, I, I'm wondering whether from, you know, the uh, text that you've looked at, whether from the medical... Uh, philosophical and religious ones, mm -hmm. whether any of the texts talk about the most obvious antidote to this type of love sickness, i.e. Delusional. Uh, consummate. <laughs> marriage. Mm -hmm. no, I wouldn't know. I, I, this, these are new to me. I mean, of course, they fit the, uh, the general framework of uh, delusion. Right. But this... Um, Taking a bath without feeling wet, for instance, I yeah. haven't, I haven't uh, encountered that. If you're suffering from this condition, then perhaps I mean, you know, the presumably the most obvious uh, antidote to this is that you should, you know, get get married and and consummate the love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, an answer as obvious as that. I'm just wondering whether any of these mm -hmm. literature actually do yeah. say say the answer. Yeah. yeah, not those three <laughs> specifically. <laughs> and there, I mean, are they oral uh, tradition? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Maybe just to just to illustrate the exceptional the exceptional yeah I'm situation sorry. of a lot of hmm? yeah. I'm afraid that in in classical. Arabic literature, there's a tenuous connection only between marriage and love. Because marriage is yes. procreation, children, and companionship, and all the practical mm -hmm. things. But uh, love in poetry, which must be some real uh, link with reality, is always uh, extramarital love for boys, usually, mm -hmm. and sometimes for girls. And, and uh, there's a widespread misunderstanding that uh, all these masculine uh, poems in Persian and uh, Arabic are about girls, because the great majority is about young boys. But, um, Sometimes they're often girls. Yeah, so they're often <laughs> <laughs> uh, extramarital love. Mm. So marriage would probably be a partial remedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get some people in who haven't seen it. All right. Um, Peregrine Vaughan, I'll be speaking later on about medical history. Um, when I read about love sickness in Latin material, I always thought, wouldn't it be fun to get a room full of psychiatrists together and asked them to <laughs> compare medieval love sickness and erosomania. And we did, but we stopped after yes. 30 yes. seconds. And I'd love us to get back to that. It seems to me a prime example of where the, the ancient mm -hmm. and modern mm -hmm. may or may not 
converge. Yeah. Uh, so that's just a suggestion for discussion at mm. some, some later point. And my other flat-footed uh, question is, uh, is there any case history reported in the um, Islamic literature, the literature in Arabic, of anybody being, being treated for this? Galen, after all, in, on prognosis has the case of a, of a woman whom he diagnoses as having the hops for a dancer. Is there any, any medieval equivalent of that? Yeah. All, all the sources I, can, uh, I have consulted are, are um, literary, yeah. fi fictional, um, in, including this story in, in this short um, piece on, uh, on uh, the youth who uh, hurls himself to death. I mean, with melancholy, we have yeah. precious uh, case studies in, in Rufus's Rufus's fragments. Yes, but of uh, that has, has dealt with them harshly. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're real life. That, that's real life melancholy. But I wouldn't be able to to furnish you with. Uh, but yes, is there any love sickness? Yeah, well. well Ibn Sina says he has treated the uh, love sickness with, uh, uh, with on talking to uh, the sick. So, but yeah. it's not a case study. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, we have. Actually, we wanted to say something for a bit. Um, so, the question, question for us, uh, speaker first of all, maybe, and then um, just comment and reply to, to Bill about um, love sickness. Um, so, you mentioned that the love sickness was due to maybe um, ignorance of the good. So I guess my question is sort of mm -hmm. a simple one: is why invoke illness rather than moral or intellectual failure? Why not just say these poor people they don't appreciate the good? And more maybe mm -hmm. the Greek conception of you know why are these why are they ill yeah. is the first question. And secondly, is mirror image are other sensual pleasures equally um, pathogenic? So love of art, love of food. Mm -hmm. Is there a model for that in, in as Craig was talking about? No. What's special about passionate love? Uh, passionate love, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I can't see any any um, <coughs> parallel like like um, what is it in, in English? Uh, Fellerei, uh, uh, lust for food, or love for aesthetic pleasure, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And as for um, the first uh, part of your question, um, I really don't know. Um, <coughs> Actually, there, there's nothing explicit uh, about this uh, about this subject um, mm -hmm. in the in the texts. Although what we want some more solid uh, solid data. Because there's a move missing in my head. Why ignorant to say yeah, takes that extra step to illness? I wonder where that how that was made or why it was made. But I, I mean, doesn't doesn't the Greek um, medical tradition also introduce uh, the yeah? I can help a little yeah. bit there. Mm -hmm. uh, Plato defines mental health as the interior harmony of the soul, the three parts mm -hmm. of the soul you were talking about, with mm -hmm. rational guidance based mm -hmm. on rational knowledge of the good um, in control of the yeah. other two non-rational parts of the soul. He defines that as mental health, and so therefore he defines knowledge of the good as the chief constituent of mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
that him, must be ignorance the, of the, the source, it, yeah. rational ignorance of the good, mm. uh, will be equivalent to mental illness or absence of health. Yeah, well, no, mental illness. No, 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 strongly. He calls it mental illness. Really? He calls so it mental illness. I think it's Republic 4433 the symptoms of uh, uh, excessive love that were deemed pathological by the writers, mm -hmm. they, do they only occur in cases of unrequited mm -hmm. love? Does there have to be lack and longing for these pathological symptoms? Okay, so mm -hmm. consummated requited love, that's always okay, isn't it? Yeah, that's okay, and that's the... That's, that's, that's the, very interesting. That's the therapy. That's, that's not... That's, that's, that's really kind of not therapy. That's that. not it has to be unattainable. That's, that's mm -hmm. not great. I mean, that, I mean, that add, adds to the uh, strongly... Um, uh, because the Plato and the Symposium, that yeah. consummated love with another yeah. human being, is blocking you in your search for sublimated love, leading you towards the divine. So it's a problem. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not a cure. It's a yeah. problem. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Emily, I think it just depends on your interpretation. Can, can we just say then that that is, a, that is an important difference from the erotomania, isn't it? Yes, of course. Um, because the point about erotomania is it's a delusional belief. It's not what is in love with you. It's not yeah. measured by your passion for them. There is a DSM equivalent to the power of love sickness, and I, I think it's rather surprising. Now, taking Matt's point, it's rather interesting that here there's this great interest in imbalances of the soul when it comes to love, but it doesn't seem to apply to food. <laughs> Notwithstanding the nearness of life. Revising ICD 10, we can put in this. Yes. <laughs> Let's take one, one more. Cause a bit more trouble. <laughs> just, just a very short comment. It's really fascinating for a psychiatrist to be in the company of the philosophers, but uh, I'm getting a bit more confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's the purpose. <laughs> that is the purpose. No, I mean, if you just go back to these two original words that we have been discussing, love and sickness, I think probably we have to really, before labeling something as sickness and before labeling something as love, we have to really define that what do we mean by these two terms. In my own uh, perception, I mean love, are we talking in terms of an emotion? Are we talking in terms of a feeling? Are we talking in terms of an idea or a thought? And then sickness. What do we mean by sickness? How do we define sickness? I mean, the mystical love, the Sufism, and all those things, is it really a sickness? Or is it being explained on the basis whether you call it an overvalued idea, can you call it a delusion, whereas it may be a part of the educational, cultural, and religious background. But coming back to the <coughs> love as an emotion, or some of the description which you have uh, uh, just described in the text, are we talking about some type of dissociative reactions, some type of conversion reactions in terms of psychopathology, or is it just a sort of an adjustment reaction to the acute stress. So I think probably when we are talking about uh, these two issues, these are two entirely different issues. 
in terms of explaining the socio-cultural background. Uh, this, is, this is what we should really start thinking that rather than giving a pathological term, can we just consider that is it really a pathological term in terms of diagnosis, in terms of uh, understanding uh, or making it a mental phenomena or a psychiatric problem? Well, this is, I think it's been a fascinating discussion actually, and an, an interesting sort of disjunction between uh, medieval uh, sort of categories of, of behavior and so on, and uh, our modern ones. Perhaps we can pursue this in our general discussion later, but meanwhile, um, another source of pleasure awaits us, I hope, in the fall of a lunch. Just to sort of a small point, I mean, I mean the, the case description that you are mentioning in the Indian subcontinent, there is a term used for that, laveria. I think I should be all right. <laughs> no, no, that is, that is a sort of an illness or a behavior which is uh, influenced by love and is presented as you have just described in the text. Problem, laveria. <laughs> this is a sort of a non-technical term which is being used very often. Before everyone, like, like malaria.